Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. That combination of workspace upstairs in in its sort of flexible, accessible format um, in places where people live around the country, often which don't have the kind of offer that you'll find in a city, is a really kind of distinct um, offer, we think. Hi, welcome back to the Commercial Property Investor podcast. And today I'm sat with Freddie Ford down in Patch in Twickenham. Welcome, Freddie. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for having me. And um, well, thanks for having me, really. It's your podcast studio, right? <laughs> in your building. <laughs> yeah, well, we had a lot of demand from uh, from the local creatives here. And uh, everyone said, don't build a podcast studio until we actually spoke to people from Twickenham. And they said that's what they wanted. So yeah. here we are. Brilliant. Well, save me lugging on my kit around. So thank you for that. Um, today, we're going to talk a little bit about your model, your superpower, which I'm really interested in. And I think maybe the first thing to start with is a bit of context. So let's just talk through, first of all, where we are. And then a little bit about some of the other sites, and then we'll go on a little bit about Patch. So just where are we right now in this Twickenham building? So we're sitting in Patch in Twickenham. It's mm-hmm. our third location. Uh, Patch offers public access events, community and cultural space on the ground floor. And then uh, the co-working uh, kind of mixed environment that all your listeners will be familiar with on the upstairs. Um, and crucially, we're sited on the high street. So big glass frontage. Uh, lots of people welcoming in, coming in for retail that we have kind of little pop-up store, coffee, um, we have event spaces and so on. Um, so, I mean, not sort of literally, but metaphorically, there's a big sign that says, come in, explore, see what yep. see what's available. Uh, and our other two sites are in Chelmsford um, in a 19th century um, brewery or former 19th century brewery and in High Wycombe in a library from the 1920s. I should say that where we are now in, in, in Twickenham is, um, was actually built as the so Art Deco building and was built as the regional headquarters for the Southeastern Electricity Board. So if you know where to look, you'll see uh, light bulbs and uh, the faces of the inventors of electricity kind of carved into the stone reliefs, yeah. which is quite a fun This feature. is a really prominent building, right? Beautiful building. Are the others as prominent? Uh, yes. Yeah, they all are. It, it's, they, they, they happen to have these kind of important kind of heritage, cultural meeting points um, originally has served as kind of meeting points in the towns that they that they are in. Not every building that we have um, that we're looking at, I should say, kind of has that same civic uh, aspect necessarily. But what does matter, as you say, is that it's it's prominent, it's, it's visible, it's accessible. It's model, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the, the, the mission formally is to create opportunity for people, work and community on every high street. And that opportunity piece is fundamentally entwined with accessibility. So it needs to be seen yep. uh, in order for people to be able to feel like that they can be part of it. Yeah. Okay. So we're in three, there's three sites right now. Um, any more in the pipeline? Working pretty hard on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, as I said, the ambition is to be on every UK high street, but you and your listeners will know that property is neither fast nor cheap. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we seem to be picking up some momentum. So nothing to announce at this moment, but uh, but but yeah, very much yeah, planning plan, to, to yes, grow exactly, quite quite, exactly. quite a lot. Yeah. 
All right, okay. So let's just talk a little bit about the offer because you are pitching this different. And, you know, every business needs its own um, USPs, but this is something you and your team firmly believe in. So maybe just talk a little bit more through what it is you're trying to offer. Other than just having a sustainable business, there's other um, qualities here that you're looking for. Mm. Yeah, so I guess I kind of... um jumped to the mission a minute ago and, and you know, I've used words like accessibility and opportunity. I think a lot of your um, listeners and those familiar with flexible serviced offices will understand the, the benefits of co-working and the kind of fractionalized op- offer of space. And upstairs, that's kind of what we offer. Yeah. Um, so I won't go into too much detail, you know, a day a month, uh, un- you know, eight days a month, private office, the full range, everything in between. The thing that we do that is fundamentally different or let's say the two things we do that are fundamentally different. First of all is our locations. So I've kind of covered High Wycombe, Twickenham, Chelmsford. The kinds of places that we're looking at are towns rather than major cities. Um, and those and, and, and sometimes kind of commuter and, and sort of highly residential areas as well. Yep. So um, I don't know, St. Albans or... Uh, Thinking, think, you, um, you know, um, Hitchin on, on the outskirts of London, but moving further north, Solihull outside of Birmingham, um, places in Fife, you know, potentially, I know, um, Jerry, where you've got um, some interest. That's the sort of kind of place that we're, we're looking at. Um, and uh, the second thing that we do that, that's fundamentally different is that we offer places that are um, totally publicly accessible. Yep. So the point is that... Yes, we've got the co-working operation. Yes, we're here to serve what we call the work near home opportunity. That means uh, spending less time commuting, less time yep. going to major cities, but actually investing and in, uh, engaging in the local economy. Um, but also um, there are non-work uh, options available to you. So when you come into a patch, it doesn't matter whether you're six years old or 60, whether it's a weekday, a weekend, there is something for you to do. Uh, there's an offer available. And uh, as I mentioned, we've got... Um, Pockets of retail, which supports local operators. We have a local cafe, which is again run by a local operator, not by us. We have um, uh, event spaces, which allow people to um, bring whatever their hobby or craft or interest or passion might be, whether that's ceramics or nettle foraging, or we have a lot of uh, women's empowerment groups that meet at Patch. We have local creative meetups. So that combination of workspace upstairs in, in its sort of flexible, accessible format um, in places where people live around the country, often which don't have the kind of offer that, you're, uh, that you'll find in a city, and um, uh, and that also has that kind of public offer, that public mix, is a really um, uh, is a really kind of distinct um, offer. We think. Yeah. Okay. So there'll, there'll be some people that are listening that are thinking, you know, this sounds great. So it's like the kind of regeneration we need on some high streets, particularly mm. the types of locations you're talking about. But also the left hand of the brain might be saying, but how do you make that work financially? Mm, mm. Because there's a lot of moving parts there. Mm. And community-driven projects often don't have a financial head on it. There's a little bit less focus Mm. on that sustainable side. So you've talked about wrapping around it a set of offices, co-working. How do you see that sustainability bit? And is it actually the fact that that really is just part of us devaluing it, but part of the brand, part of the offer, so that those that are in the building also feel that that's part of what they're they're involved in. 
Yeah, I, it's it's a big question because sustainability means uh, a lot of different things. Um, I won't try and cover every angle, but um, fundamentally, we are a business. We uh, we make money. Um, you know, yep. we we're passionate about creating a social business that has value that goes far beyond um, just uh, just the shareholders. So we're actually uh, applying to be a B corporation at the moment. Some of your listeners may be familiar that that means taking kind of stakeholders into account and yep. the environment and, and other considerations. Um, but I think fundamentally for us, um, uh, you know, we, as I said, we're, we're proud of that, of, of the business model and being a business because it allows us to build something that can scale. And that's how we have the most mm -hmm. amount of impact and everyone who works at the business. And, you know, I hope, you know, our members feel the same way or confident that they do feel like they're being, they, they're joining an environment, joining a, a, a community that has more to offer than just, um, more to offer than just a kind of an exchange. You know, there's an emotional component here to uh, to being part of something that, as I said, um, speaks to the, the broader values that we care about. And those values formally, internally at least, are uh, near, which is about encouraging, enabling, supporting local business. Balance, which is about helping people leave, live balance uh, in their mental lives, uh, in, sorry, for their mental health, for their physical health, for their communities, for the environment. Um, and the third is built to last, which means being part of a community and being part of, and I mean, citing ourselves within a community that was here m much before yep. we were sure. and will be here uh, much after us. So that's kind of a long way of saying that I think, um, you know, we, we really care about um, building a business that kind of uh, engages and interacts um, meaningfully with the context in which, the, in which it sits, but we're not shy about also saying, you know, and there's a business model. So you'll have seen yourself here today and, 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 and your listeners can see on our website, we have a very high fit out um, design um, standard. You know, we really care yeah. about offering really quality phone booths, really high quality second screens and chairs and tables such that we can charge the amount that those products um, uh, deserve. But there is a sliding scale where you can also join for 24 pounds a month. And so I think having a mix that says, you know, here is a really high quality um, kind of price, price led or sort of um, uh, for, for us, at least, a kind of value-led, uh, value-generating kind of um, um, uh, sort of product set, um, being supported by a range of other ways in which you can engage in the patch offer. Let me ask you a question. Have you heard of SaaS pensions? They're a fantastic tool for business owners to wrap a commercial property up in a tax-free bubble. A SaaS can work particularly well with the CMO strategy to generate money both inside and outside of your pension. It goes without saying, I'm not a SaaS expert, but let me introduce you to someone that is. Bryn Walker has been advising on SaaS pensions for many years and has been a long-term supporter of the CPI network. SaaS and commercial property work incredibly well together, but there are many nuances, and Bryn will make sure you don't stray from the right path. Look in the show notes for the partner link and book up a SaaS discovery call with Bryn. Without um, feeling like you have, you're kind of being gatekept, if that makes sense. That that mixture um, provides um, provides something for everyone. At least that's the, that's the ambition. Okay, so the exciting part of this is the fact that, and we've not really touched on this yet, but it's taking defunct buildings in the high street that currently are a problem, right? Often the problem buildings they were built for often one occupant, mm -hmm. quite often retail with a lot of office space and storage upstairs that just simply doesn't work anymore. Mm -hmm. And actually, for a landlord trying to find, or a property owner trying to find, 
one occupant to take that space mm. is really quite challenging, right? So a lot of these buildings are sat in this trap where either the owner has actually gone bust and they're sat there in a rates trap because mm -hmm. nobody wants mm -hmm. to stay on because mm -hmm. of the rates, or um, they're struggling to find someone and can't really commit to doing the CapEx and they're kind of just stuck in this place. So... Yes, there's the social stuff from a point of view of creating a, a hub where people can meet and feel the community um, operating in, the, in a space that's provided for them. But also there's the very fact of taking on properties that yep. are a challenge, yep. right? So that's part of your message too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. We talked about the demand, right, which is people want to work near home, spend less time commuting, more time with their uh, families, more time in their local environments. But the supply side, in a way, is almost as compelling, if not more compelling. Yeah which is that there are lots and lots of empty buildings and there's no place for people to gather, be it for social or for work events. And so you sort of think, well, where is the modern day town hall? Where's the modern day uh, retail park or kind of, you know, Debenhams or whatever it might be. Those, those kind of, um, that sort of locus of, 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 of gathering um, for which there've been many iterations, you know, be they kind of places of worship or working men's clubs or whatever they've been pubs over the, over the years, that environment, um, uh, people still have a craving to come together, and we we, we believe we're solving that demand with our with our mixed um, yep. public and work product. But the uh, as you say, the buildings that once housed all of those institutions, um, uh, they're empty. And so we believe that we're providing the up to date best use for um, buildings that yep. uh, uh, that have no longer served their original purpose. Yeah. So actually, let's just. Be, um, we had a quick chat before we started this, just to say, look, this, these are some of the things I want to talk about. And then the other side of it is, you know, Freddie, what do you want to try and talk about? And, and I think it's important just to say, you know, for listeners, that your mission is, is really compelling and it's also solving a problem. And so part of, part of the reason really for you to spend some time talking about this, whether it's with me or anybody else, is to attract other landlords or high streets that are struggling and need some kind of solution. And that leads me on to the model a little bit more, because at the moment, you're not purchasing buildings, you're doing lease, right? Mm -hmm. And then subletting effectively for the office space. Mm -hmm. um, and that can help grow businesses quite quickly. But the, the downside of that is less control and obviously there's mm -hmm. a few other factors. Mm -hmm. So are you thinking about, what are you thinking about on your next iteration? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, I come back to our values, right? One of which is built to last, which means trying to make decisions over a hundred year timeline if we can. I mean, that has very little practical elements day to day, but it's something we do think about internally a lot, which is how can we make sure that we're embedded into an environment and into a community where if we are creating both, to be clear, shareholder good and social good, if those, those two things can coexist, yep. How do we make sure that that continues to benefit the community, as I say, 100 years from now? And the, as you say, the issue with taking leases, or one of the many issues with taking leases, is that at some point that lease term ends, mm -hmm. and you know, you're either out or your your whatever advantage that you might have built up is kind of is at risk of being eroded. There's also a big kind of capex question at the front end of it, which is how much can I? Well, what kind of capital can I raise, and how can I justify deploying that capital into improving somebody else's asset? Yeah. So we are very interested in partners who, in a way, will help us create our own supply. We think that we provide, you know, we've always thought about ourselves as a product-led business, solving first and foremost for, for community trends, uh, sorry, for trends 
that our customers um, are trying to solve. And you know, I've talked about the various ways in which we're, we're tackling um, that demand for public and work good, work near home and, and the rest of it. And it's only very recently that I've started to think about us, of course, as having to serve the needs of, as you say, property, um, and thinking about um, asset owners and property owners and landlords as customers as well. And so I think that there is a very clear kind of set of partnerships that we would like to start yep. working on where we say, if you have a building, let us know because we may well be able to um, effectively manage it for you. So fit it out, um, operate it, and, you know, through whether it's management agreements or SPVs or we, you know, we are actually working with a number of investors potentially on acquiring buildings. So we're sort of starting to think of ourselves a yep. bit as a developer, but I say that very tentatively because we haven't done that yet. We actually have a lot of experience in the business and across the investor network um, who are very, very experienced in this. Um, but for us as operators, we're kind of backing our way into development. Yeah, I want to I want to come back to that about the finance side. But but in terms of finding and buying, or at least finding buildings, identifying investors who may not own the building and may want to to mm. invest in the building, it's also investors who buy into the other side of your offer, isn't it? You know, people because you don't want somebody to buy the building who um, is going to give you a 10-year lease and then after 10 years serve you a lot of dilaps and then mm. we're back to square one, aren't mm. we? Mm. So it's finding people that fit in with your values and what you're trying to do long term. Well, the, 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 the good news is, is that there's a lot of good people out there. Mm. And I think a lot of the time uh, conversations about investors and investment can seem quite opaque, can seem very transactional, can seem difficult to access maybe. And I guess... Um, you know, for those listeners of yours, maybe you haven't had those sorts of conversations before, maybe even some who have, it doesn't have to be, uh, it doesn't necessarily have to have that. There can be sort of cynical tinge sometime sure. when, when sort of the term investment is bandied around. But there are a lot of people that we meet who are attracted initially by our values, which I've mentioned, by our mission, by the fact that we are building a successful, um, you know, well profitable business that also has all these other features to it. And I think. Um, there are a lot of people out there who say, yeah, do you know what? I want to put my money into something that has the returns, but also does kind of good in, in, yeah. in society. Um, and I think I've heard this is advice that's been given to me and it's advice I would repeat having been through similar experiences, which is, you know, the, the, once you sell shares or once you get into any kind of investment relationship with anyone, it's very difficult and or impossible to reverse from that. And I think I've even heard you talk about this on, on, on this podcast as well. Which, and, and don't make that mistake. And I think you have to be very, very clear to yourself and to everyone around you what it is you stand for. And don't be shy. Yep. And say, these are things that matter to me. These are our principles. Here's what we will accept. Here's what we will not accept. That's not to say that it, it's necessarily sensible to be dogmatic because you want to learn and adapt and understand that maybe there are different incentives sure. at play. But what we have found is that by being very clear about what our mission is what our purpose is what we're trying to achieve um we have attracted people to us who say you know we want that too yeah. um and that, that fortunately there's quite a lot of people with with that mindset yeah you've so you've led me into into part of the discussion and part of what i want to get out of this podcast is that you know it, it seems to me one of your superpowers is raising money so you've been very successful at, at getting this brand this great business off the ground quickly and you've done it through a, a model where you're leasing space and then renting out and generating income mm -hmm. from the space and obviously um, adding in lots of the other values we've been talking about. But in order to raise capital, 
for a business that isn't necessarily buying the asset, that's an interesting number. And and just talk me through some of your background that's got you to that. And and the reason I want to cover this is is to say that some of the listeners that have a mental block about raising finance, it's really just some of the mindset things they really need to overcome to be able to do that. Because there is a lot of money out there. Mm. But it's being able to obviously have the confidence, mm. the skill set to actually go and raise it. It can be one of the most frustrating things to hear. And and just to be clear, I you know, I I've been through this journey myself, so I know exactly what it's like. You know, and people say, and I sort of I agree with your sentiment, there is a lot of money out there, to which the re- immediate response is like, well, where, where is, is it? it? Like yeah. <laughs> where's the yellow pages? And it's not quite that simple. I think access between creating that connection or finding it is in a way part of the skill set of a successful entrepreneur. You know, one of there are many skill sets and um, not all of them are good to have in isolation. Well, none of them are good to have in isolation. But my background to answer your question is in um, high growth, early stage technology companies where one way or another you're kind of trained in the idea that um, there are these kind of foundational sort of generational shifts in technology usually that unlock these kind of massive yeah. pools of value creation, let's say, and, you know, imagine that the world of office just didn't, literally just didn't exist and somebody woke up and all of a sudden office was a class of property investment, right? You know, and then everyone's going after office, right? And, and, and you can say, well, I'll be the biggest office provider. And that, that is a, that's kind of how tech investors think. They think, yeah. well, AI all comes along. Exactly. And, and, and it's moving so quickly. So um, I borrowed some of that um, mindset. And um, when I was thinking about starting Patch, I thought to myself, well, you know, I fundamentally believe believe in the simple idea that people are great um they just don't have access to all the opportunity that they deserve which is i think something that most people would agree with um but i thought about it more about as i thought more and more about it i realized that one of the barriers to people accessing opportunity is just simple proximity physical location right Mm -hmm. which kind of leads you quite quickly to property and the idea that um uh you know if you're if you weren't so far removed from um, from say major cities or great places to work and the kind of opportunities that that, that, that co-working brings you, then um, uh, you know great things could happen for the hundreds and uh, hundreds and thousands of towns and villages around the country. And um, and it actually is a technology story indirectly because the, re- the because we're all able to work remote in a way that we weren't twenty sure. years ago. Certainly, when most of the buildings around us were, were buildings around us were built, the internet wasn't a thing, yeah. or smartphones, or laptops, or whatever. And so you have this enormous stock of property that is um, unavailable. Uh, sorry, that is that is un, that is available. Forgive me, untenanted, and it's quote unquote in the wrong place. Yeah. To which my response is not in the wrong place at all. It just has a different use than before. So to go back to my earlier example, imagine if the kind of world of office uh, as a category was just created. Well, I think in some ways it has been quite quickly over the last 15, 20 years, which is office near home or work near home, which is kind of the category that we think we're sort of creating here, um, which is high quality environments with a social and, you know, kind of smile, smiley face public door that you can walk into near to where people live in a building that used to be a Debenhams. That's a pretty massive opportunity. And so that's the, that's the way that I approached it with our investors, which was to say, there's going to be, there's going to be lots of different ways of approaching this thing. Um, But there's a huge opportunity out here. We think we've got a pretty good way of, uh, we've got a pretty good chance of being um, a, a kind of a winner in this new category. Um, and, you know, even if we only get whatever, one or 5% of that, of that, um, 
of that opportunity, it's kind of, it's enormous. And therefore it's worth investing what sound to me and you, like frankly, lots of money, you know, we've raised 4 million into the equity of equity into the, into the, into the operating company, but in the scale of, I don't know, uh, whatever food and beverages, you know, restaurants yeah. in the UK are probably, I mean, God knows billions and billions, 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 right? Um, they're all the same. They're, they're not, they're not buying, they're leasing. Exactly. They're and so, operating. exactly. Yep. So when I think about the potential scale of the opportunity for Patch to operate co-working and cultural venues on every UK high street, actually 4 million doesn't seem like a lot. So, and then, and then it just puts you into a different category in terms of the people you're speaking to and what they're after. So went on a few diversions there, but basically I think you really need to really understand what your, who you are, what you care about, what your parameters are. And I think you'll find both from a value standpoint and from a, uh, from a kind of, um, I guess like purpose of capital standpoint. So different investors will have different things that they want to achieve with their money. If you can be really precise and cut your kind of jigsaw piece quite carefully, you'll find that it overlays with other people. I think where you, where you can really struggle is if you're vague and you say, well, I sort of need money and I sort of need it for this thing. Okay. But is, what kind of return does that investor is that investor looking for? Are they going to write a big amount of uh, a big check or a small check? Do they want loans? Do they want equity? And a lot of this stuff is kind of seems difficult to figure out. But if you can just be really clear on what, what it is that you're trying to do, I think you'll find actually, in a way, breaking down that big yellow pages of money, you know, there's a lot of money out there. Well, what's the money that aligns with my value set that wants to invest at the scale that I'm interested in, in the kind of business that I'm interested in? You know, you start cutting it up like yeah. that and it becomes a lot clearer. That's that's really interesting. And and I guess the the key part of that is wrapping it all into a good story. Mm -hmm. Not in terms of make-believe, but a story that's compelling and, and get, brings people along. And because a lot of people, I think, and, and I'll include myself in this, when they're looking at, right, I need to raise some finance, they might be vague because they're trying to picture what the potential person with finance wants, right? So they're being slightly vague sometimes on the case of, well, actually, I'm not sure whether they want to do a loan, they want to do equity, mm. they want 10%, they want 6%. They don't actually too bother about the percentages because it makes a big difference in another way, community, for instance. So they're being vague, depending on who's been put in front of them. But actually you're saying, no, no, you need to turn it around. You need to actually be really focused on what you're trying to do, build that compelling story, then talk to people. Mm -hmm. And it does mean that it will push some people away because they're not aligned with that, but also other people will join you quite quickly. Yeah, I think you're right about the storytelling and the narrative, and you're right. It's not about make-believe. I mean, there are and will always be make-believe versions of everything, right? So I'm not saying that, you know, all stories are, are, are created equally, but as long as you can substantiate what it is you're saying and it makes sense to you and it's credible, then I think there's every, um, uh, th then I think then I think it's, it's, it's critical that you can explain to people what it is you're trying to do and why. And, and I think what you said at the beginning there is interesting, which is, well, what is it they want to hear? I'm amazed constantly at how much investors want to be told. They're looking, they, they, they investors generally speaking, are not claiming to be the people who figured it out. They've got the money and they're looking for... They want somebody who's got certainty. E exactly. They are looking for the entrepreneur. They're yep. looking for you to tell them what the future looks like. They have to believe it. And, and again, it comes back to the parameters I mentioned earlier. There are certain things that, you know, you'll be pushing on an open door. You know, don't go to a pension fund and ask them to make a high-risk investment. That's not what they... That's not their mandate. Yep. That's not what they're there to do. Um but ultimately, if you're speaking, if you're if you're kind of speaking to the right audience and you can tell a compelling story, 
you know, they are looking for you to help answer the question of, you know, we think there's something in office or work near home, or we think there's something about post, you know, work remote, don't know what it is. And then we can walk in with Patch and, 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 and tell a story about, you know, the, the changing use of retail and so on. And it fits kind of something they're already looking for. Yes. Okay, so without going into too much detail, um, some of the investors that have joined you on this journey so far, what are the key things that have stood out to you that they're actually looking for? Is it a number? Is it long-term? Oh, I might be able to increase my equity by X amount. Or, or is it more the changes they're going to maybe able to influence on their high street? It might even mm. be that some of them are looking specifically at where mm. you're investing. Or is it a real mixed bag? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it is a bit of a mix. I think there's, there's a couple of things that unite them all. One is that they're investors, so they're looking for a return. Yep. And that's very important for me to understand because I, it keeps me on my toes in making sure that I can present a commercial proposition that does actually scale and yep. isn't, as you say, kind of fantasy or worse. You actually, and, and you know, we've, we've seen this in many, um, well, you see it in tech industry a lot, you know, sometimes it's kind of speculative investors who sort of don't really think too hard and they kind of throw money at something because maybe it will work, but really not that bothered and actually keeping me really, really focused on unit economics and really focused on returns is, is critical. And the other thing that uh, um, that unites them all is that they are really bought into the mission and the values of Patch. And that is yep. something that, that I filtered out uh, quite a number of people on. So I was fortunate to have offers of investment that I was able to say no to because fundamentally it really, really, really matters to me that this business ends up in the hands of the right people from top to bottom. You know, all of our staff are shareholders in the business as well or option holders more specifically um so 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 that unites them all and then after that i think they all have their own kind of um mandates effectively so there's broadly two categories of investor we've got a whole load of angel investors so people like peter roberts the founder of pure gym um um I'm just, I can't remember who's um, willing to be named publicly, but we've got <laughs> quickly on the spot. Um, well, uh, you don't have to give me names. You don't have to. Yeah, yeah. Just, anyway, really, former CEOs yeah. Of, of, of high street brands and co-founders of various companies and so on. So those angel investors are putting in between sort of five thousand and seventy-five thousand pounds, roughly. Um, and angel investors are wonderful to deal with. So an angel investor is somebody who invests their own money, um, and they're wonderful to deal with because there's no middleman. <laughs> Uh, or middle person, they they are directly, um, you know, they they want to make their money work and 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 they really want to help you succeed. And they tend to be quite interested in mentoring and support. Yep. And there's a couple of people in mind who have been extraordinarily supportive and continue to be so, be it on the brand side or on the talent side or on the property side. I deliberately built a bit of a bench of people who could help me out on different areas of the business when I needed it. Um. And I, yeah, as I said, for them, it's mostly about mentoring. It's partly, I think, probably legacy as well, knowing that they're helping the next generation. And then the other broad category is institutions. So they're, you know, this is where they're managing money on behalf of other people. Um, and they have a more formal mandate because their job actually is not to help you and have fun effectively with their own money. Their job is to generate a return for sure. their own shareholders, which is a very different setup. Um, again, all kind of qualified through the kind of values lens that I mentioned. Um, and I think for them, it's about, it's probably more around what I mentioned earlier, where they can see that there is a trend emerging in the kind of, you might say post COVID, but it's kind of more like post 
post-remote technology. Yeah, it's uh, technology enabling. Yeah, exactly. And they can see that the world of office is changing. They can see that the world of consumers is, is, is changing. And as I said, they, you know, I've, I've explained the patch mission and, and, and they buy into it. Um, I do think with the, with the institutions have invested in, in patch, um, they are socially led. Like they, 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 they all of them have a, a, a very clear defined mandate to support businesses with, with a kind of social, social element to it. And certainly the independent people that I deal with, um, feel very strongly about that. Um, you know, I, um, uh, the founders of Innocent Drinks, um, the smoothie company, set up a fund called Jam Jar, who have made the biggest investment into Patch. I think they were the UK's first B Corp. I mean, it's something that's like very core to them as, yeah. as as people. So, just on the private side, roughly how many entities, people have you patched together here? Uh, about. Th- 35 yeah, okay. people have invested, ranging from £1,000 up to £1 million. And did you do that all at once, at the, or over time? It was over two moments in time, effectively. Um, did you, sorry, jumping in here, but did you uh, do an initial, here's a product, it's been delivered, let's do the next, or...? Yeah, well, a bit earlier than that. So in order to finance the first building, uh, you know, I had a business plan effectively a kind of a, a presentation i did a lot of research in terms of demand and pricing and uh, you know how much it cost to fit it out and i went to look at loads and loads of buildings pulled in lots of favors met new people who bought in very early you know service providers brokers project managers all doing stuff for free because they all believed in the mission and i do think your passion as an entrepreneur is absolutely critical that is how you rub two sticks together and create something out of nothing yeah. you just have to believe that you're going to bring this thing into the world and, you know, if, if you look at somebody and you say that to them and they say, yeah, I'm not going to help you because, you know, I've got a business and I've got whatever, you know, can't help you today because I've got other things. Fine, you just keep moving. You just, you just, you don't stop. Somebody might say no to helping you out. And then eventually somebody buys into what you're doing and they help you out. And, you know, there are some amazing people who've been with us from the early days who are now getting a lot of business from us. And that was kind of always the promise. But I think they were also inspired by doing something important, doing something good. So that package then went to a set set of investors that said, look, I've got this belief in working at home. I've got this belief in underused um, retail and the demand and all the rest of it. And I'm not just telling you I've got that belief. Here is nine months worth of evidence. Here's all the projections that I've built. Here's all the research I've done using the office national statistics data. Here's like 30 buildings I've been to. Here's like all these cost sheets. Here's a whole lot of benchmarking. You know, here's like a lot of quote unquote consulting work, if you see what I mean. Um, That showed that not only did I knew what I was talking about or I started to learn, um, but that I was clearly very committed and passionate and I wasn't going anywhere. How many do you think you spoke to? That's probably a difficult one to answer. On a... On a 300? 300 odd. 300-ish and, oh, that's probably a bit high. Somewhere around, maybe around 200. And, 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 and in that, sorry, in that first group, 33 invested. Um, and... Um, and that was the first investment to, to open the first building. We then did a second round uh, after we'd proven the first building, which is what funded two and three. Okay. So with those, uh, which you spoke earlier on about the yellow pages of money, right? So to find those 200, um, just give me a couple of ways that you did that. Obviously, there would have been some that you already knew yep. through yep. your industry you were in. But I'm sure quite a number of those you didn't know before you started right. this yeah, process. Yeah, I didn't know the vast majority of them. So, so, so 
the first set was um, people I'd worked with. So yeah. I specifically offered a discount. So when you, for those who aren't familiar, when you're when you're kind of setting, you know, running a business, we all probably familiar with the idea of creating your company on company's house and you have a nominal price for the shares. But when you add investors to the company, you create more shares. Usually you create more shares in the company, you sell those shares and you price those shares and that gives a valuation for your company. What I did was I offered a discount to the first two or three people who came in to help me generate um, that early traction. And these were, these were three people that I'd already previously worked with. Yep. So they also validated me. They, as it happens, they, they were credible in their own right but they were also people I'd actually worked for. They were all my previous bosses. And so that generated this there kind of- There's a little bit of leverage there because these yeah. guys or girls have, have believed in this concept. They believe in the concept, they believe in me, yep. and they are credible people who um, whose kind of opinion is kind of worth Great. listening to, so I that's suppose, step in two. Context. Step one, building the whole data information exactly. mission. Exactly. Step two, Getting buy-in from not hundreds, just from two or three, two or three key. people to get the initial ball yep. rolling. That allowed me, and I didn't. They didn't ask for a discount. I actually offered them a discount, but basically as a thank you for everything I had learned from them. It was just something I wanted to do. Um, I then took that initial, you know, the, the round eventually was about eight hundred thousand pounds, and between them it was thirty thousand, forty thousand. So it wasn't a huge amount, yep. like less than five percent. But it, what it meant was that I could. The most important, the two, I'd say there were there were there were two phrases or, or two concepts that I kind of pass on to your listeners that I think were the most important to understand when, when raising money. The first is momentum. Just to be able to say the train is leaving the station and, you know, this is your opportunity. If you're not interested. Yeah, exactly. Yep. It is as simple as that, like any sales process. It feels weird because you're asking people for their money and that feels like a very unnatural thing to yep. do, but it is a sales process. You have to create scarcity. The train is moving and in this context, the train's leaving the station and in this context, I would say, you know, these people already come in and I've got conversations going for another X and you just kind of go from there. The tipping point was probably around 50%. Once you clear 50%, it feels like the opportunity is now getting smaller and smaller. Yes. Um, so that's the first concept is momentum. Absolutely critical. And you've got to run a really clear time defined process, like push yourself into hitting a certain number of targets, conversations like any sales cycle in a certain period. And the second concept, four most important words is who do you know? <laughs> so as soon as you've, finish the conversation particularly if somebody's decided to invest who do you know that is four words meeting from a meeting exactly yeah. and it's the best salesperson i've ever met that's the biggest takeaway i took from him which is the point of a meeting is just to get the next meeting whatever that is particularly if i go back to that initial set of people who invested in the business um, they opened up all their networks partly because they're trying to validate their own decision sure. right that's what they've happened. just decided yep. to invest and so one way of them feeling good about that decision is that their friends also join them Absolutely. in investing. So they will, new car, isn't it? They will go, yeah. exactly. They will then go and pitch their friends on this wonderful new business and yeah. they should invest. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. So then we move on to the next round and you mentioned about institutional investment. Mm. So that that's another level. Did that come about through that network you created? Through Where, where did that come from? Some of it came through the network. A lot of these angel investors... You know, they will have made previous investments. Those previous investments themselves will have gone to institutions. So there's a bit of a kind of feeder, yep. sort of feeder scenario that goes on there. Um, a fair amount of it was through organic research. You know, I was just, a lot of these funds are in the business of advertising that they've got money to invest. You know, sure. Jamjar is one of them. Um, uh, did Jamjar come from you applying or did it come uh, from some connections? 
I don't, I think Probably somebody, both. I think one of, no, I think, <laughs> well, a bit of both. It was actually one of my angel investors. Uh, I think, I think it was actually the smallest investor in the business, Yeah, which was a deliberate choice. I tried very hard to diversify the angel group across many dimensions. And one of them was age. And um, one way of doing that was accepting small minimum checks, which might sound like a weird thing to say, but at some point you need to manage the amount of conversations you're having. Um, but I, but I was also aware of who they were having, having done quite a lot of primary yeah. research as well. Okay. Th this has been really interesting digging into that element and, and I'm, I'm really glad you've been um, as open as you have. So thank you for that. Um, I guess for us to finish off would really just be talking about um, some of the future stuff. And we have touched on that about the high street, but, but if I was to maybe give you a bit more of a defined time period and said five years, mm -hmm. what, if that's something you worked, I don't know what time frame you're working on, but what does patch look like in five years? There, there's a, there's what, there's what I want. And then yeah. and there's kind of what's possible sure. in the laws of physics. Um, <laughs> you know, what I want is a hundred, you know, hundred high streets. You know, I, I don't know if that's in any world possible in five years, probably not, but you know, I'll go back to it. The mission is to create opportunity for people work and community on every UK high street. There's a lot in that, right? Yeah. So, uh, people work and community, right? So work is only one of those three words, but even work itself has many formats, right? So we don't have any woodworking, um, facility here. We don't have any, um, kind of, uh, well, we've got a lot of requests for kind of make a studio space, which we don't yet have. So, you know, that goes in lots and lots of directions very, very quickly. You know, every UK high street, um, well, before I get to that, sorry, the people and community bit, right? So you've seen and, 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 and listeners to the podcast can see on our website and our Instagram, lots of different ways that we're trying to create that accessible environment for all the different use cases that I mentioned. Um, but then, yeah, every UK high street, there's a lot of high streets. So honestly, it's just about how quickly we can get there whilst also building a sustainable business. So, you know, if we had 20 or 30 locations in five years, I'd be quite happy. Um, okay. If we had 50, I'd be... That would be on target for me, but then, sure. but I've learned, unfortunately, that um, property is a bit slower than, than I'd like. It can be. It can be. Um, okay. So for listeners that, um, there's been a lot of learnings on this, so thanks, Freddie. But in terms of people that might be interested in what Patch are doing, perhaps they have a building. Maybe they're um, actually a local authority and they've got a property that's a problem. Um, I'm pretty sure you would like them to get in touch, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the website is www.patch.work. My email, freddie.ie at patch.work. Effectively, we're looking for somewhere around 10 to 20,000 square feet of space. We can go above and below that. We'll go preferably above to 25, 30,000. Um, the more uh moveinable the building is the easier it is for us to do the deal yeah. i mean that kind of goes without saying but if the capital is available we can manage the process of getting it to that point you know we we're not coming armed with bags full of cash to invest in other people's buildings we'll do the fit out and you know the furniture and there's a certain amount of leasing and so on that goes on but fundamentally yes we do work with um local authorities so uh at least one one of our existing buildings and potentially one of our future buildings is part or fully funded by local authorities and they have a great incentive in, great. in our mission, same, yeah. same, same concept. But equally, there are two, possibly three buildings that, we're, that we're, we're close to landing, which are 
heavily, if not entirely funded by the developer because they see us as generating a great return. Um, right. So, you know, we are not scared of the commercials, um, basically. But yes, we'd love to support high streets. Um, and yeah, the, the more prominent, um, the better. We, we don't really succeed in kind of business park environments, or at least we haven't, we haven't tried and it doesn't really fit the ethos of fit. accessibility. No, I totally see that. And just in terms of investors, are you going to be doing any more rounds? Never say never. Um, I think I think always, always interested to, to meet people. Um, and as I said, there's a kind of crossover there to um, to freehold investors. You know, if you're interested in buying buildings or or potentially investing in debt, which is another thing that we're now looking at, then you know, yes, of course, these are all things okay. that we're, we're interested. Right, we'll in. See if we can book a meeting from this meeting for you, Freddie. Yes. That'd be good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for your time. It's been really interesting. Um, I hope, I'm sure listeners have taken a lot out of that. So thank you so much, Freddie. It's very kind. Thank you, Jerry. And thank you for all the work that you do. It's very, um, it's very helpful uh, to, to, to kind of offer up to those of us who aren't familiar with property and getting into it. So it's great work. Thank you. I totally appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you.